When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Like we always do with this time. I go for mine. I get to shine. Now throw your hands up in the sky. Go go for mine. I get to shine. Now throw your hands up in the sky. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Trying the Jets Live. I'm your host, Steven Dance, joined by my co-host, Steven Russo. No guests this week. You know, it's Thanksgiving. You want to do a, just a quick recap of the game and let everybody enjoy. But, uh, Stephen, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, man. It's Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, a little bit different nowadays than it was probably, you know, 15 years ago for me. But uh, it's good, man. I'm excited. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. It's a great holiday. We're ready to eat too much food, sit down and watch some football tomorrow, get together with family. So uh, I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? Good. Same here, man. At the parents, as you can see, you don't have my usual backdrop of the uh, can't wait game, which, you know, is the best moment of my life as a Jets fan. Um, my girlfriend's dad was asking the picture that was in my background when we were FaceTiming the other day. I'm like, yeah, it's the unfortunate best moment of my life as a Jets fan, but it wasn't even a Super Bowl win. It was just a divisional win. But, you know, we'll take what we can get. But anyway, yeah. we can go into more important things. We can definitely recap Jets Dolphins, which considering what we've seen over the past few weeks, you know, having backup quarterbacks jumping in there. It was, I would say, an entertaining game. Not ideal because they didn't get on the win column. But I will say, I think that the Jets actually competed, which is something that we were you know, banging on the table for with Joe Flacco, who we weren't excited to watch play. But I have to say, he played pretty solid. I mean, he had a clean pocket. He had that one really you know, blunder where he fumbled, but there was just no help. And basically, someone was supposed to not miss an assignment there. But overall, I thought the Jets you know, showed some signs. It sucked because Michael Carter got hurt and he was probably on his way to his first 100-yard game. He's out one to two weeks, but hopefully we'll get him back in a couple. But the continued emergence of Elijah Moore, that is the one thing, besides obviously Vera Tucker, who's been good every week, but he's just a guard. You're not going to see it all the time unless you're watching all 22. Elijah Moore is what you and I saw when we were at camp in July. Everyone is seeing what we saw and knew that this guy was different. Just give me your immediate thoughts on him. Yeah, I mean, I think as we've seen the progression over the course of the last couple of weeks, um, he's solidified himself as weapon number one uh, on this offense, which is what we all anticipated kind of coming in. Um, I think realistically speaking, we probably knew it would take this long, but now I think it's, uh, you know, the time is officially here. He's he's deceptively quick and so smooth in and out of his breaks in and out of his routes. And he's just, uh, he's one of those guys that rarely makes a bad play. So having this kind of be his, you know, breakout game was just awesome to watch. You could kind of feel it coming over the course of the last four or five weeks 
and uh, seeing not only him, but really, you know, you go back to it, Steve, you kind of touched on it. Like these are the types of losses that we can stomach. I'm not condoning uh, losing to a bad Dolphins team, you know, at home. That sucks. Uh, I'm not condoning, you know, being 0-10 in the division in the last 10 games. But like for a, a young team with a young core, that's, that's, you know, really is rebuilding. These are the types of, these are the types of losses that we can take. It was competitive. The defense finally showed up again. The, the game, you know, we were in it until the fourth quarter, a couple of stupid penalties in the jets end, you know, on defense uh, toward the end of the game that kind of solidified it for the, for the dolphins. But overall, this is what you'd like to see. You mentioned it, Michael Carter, before he's, before he's hurt making plays, AVT continues to just grow and impress um, Elijah Moore is just fantastic at this point. And again, now wide receiver, number one, definitely, if not weapon, number one in this offense, you go to the other side of the ball. I mean, Michael Carter, the second continues to impress and Bryce Hall, the anchor for that 2020 Joe Douglas <laughs> draft class, but continues to just look like a legitimate, uh, starting cornerback, which you just have to come away impressed. So if, if, you know, they can continue to build on these things. And that's what I guess you want to see is you want to see progress week over week, which is what, what, I think the bigger picture type thing of what made those like bills and Colts losses so frustrating was there was nothing to really build on coming off of that. These are the types of wins where you see something, there's tangible progress here and you hope you can kind of take that and build off of it going against a bad Houston team this uh, this week. Yeah. I just, you know, I think the rookie class from this year is really getting me excited. Just thinking about what it could become, especially when you fill a lot of the holes with some free agent signings and even obviously their draft capital this year. It's like, I feel like we actually have probably assuming things continue in the trend that we're seeing, especially if Zach hits. I mean, obviously we're hoping Zach is the franchise and like that is everything you need to know about a draft class if you hit on a quarterback. But this could end up being like the best class since 2006 when you think about the four guys they took with the end, obviously, hopefully Zach, and then you got five guys. That's foundational pieces. That's good team building. And that's what we're looking for. And, you know, I know Salo said this a lot. It's like, you know, we're taking lumps early to get these young guys some experience with the dividends being paid off later. And I think you're actually going to see that. I mean, you need a quarterback. That's the most important position in sports. But having a left guard who's probably going to be an all pro, at least in the discussion for the next 10 years, assuming he stays healthy, having a legit running back, he may not be a bell cow, but he's a good player. And if you compliment him with another guy, you could have a one-two punch. Ty Johnson's solid, but I don't think he's going to be on the team long-term. I could see them going elsewhere, but I like mm-hmm. what I see from him. But Elijah, man, he is just, he's just everything that we've hoped we, he could be. It's like, he's like, you watch like Kadarius Tony with the Giants. They're very similar in the sense that like mm-hmm. when they're in open space, they make so many guys miss and it's just fun. And it's like, yeah. it's just have a guy that people actually will want to draft in fantasy football. Like when was the last time, like Marshall and Decker, like those are the last two guys I can remember who people actually wanted on their fantasy football team because they actually can make plays and are fun to watch. It's like, yeah. he might be like our, you know, our staple of red zone. Like whenever the Jets come on, they're like, Oh, Elijah Moore must've did something like that's what I'm excited about. Like we have someone that we actually like can like grow and just like hold on hope that this guy could be like a superstar. Yeah. And a guy that's actually could be pacing for a thousand yards receiving in a season, which is like unheard of since, you know, the Marshall and, and, and Decker days. But um, yeah, Elijah Moore has been great. And then when, when you talk about this year's draft class too, like you kind of saw it uh, on Sunday, the drop off from Brandon Eccles to Isaiah Dunn. So yep. you, you, you kind of look at it and you see, okay, well, Brandon Eccles, you know, I don't think it, it would be a smart decision for Joe Douglas and Robert Sala to walk into 2020, uh, 2022 saying Brandon Eccles and Bryce Hall are it. 
But at least, you know, that Brandon Eccles is a guy that can step in and be serviceable because I think he's playing and, and you know, kind of holding the fort um, for this year, which is good because you see a significant drop off when a guy like Isaiah Dunn comes in. So um, overall, I just think there is excitement here. We've said it all along. This just feels different than 2020. This isn't a dead end. It's it's truly year one of a rebuild. It's not Adam Gase. It's Robert Sala. Um, and there's some growing pains there. I mean, I, I'm going to you know, lose my mind if Robert Sala tries to kick a 55 yard field goal again. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, you take a good, you take the good with the bad where, you know, he's trying to kick a 55 yarder, but at the same time he went for it on the fourth and goal and ended up getting the touchdown to tie the game early seven, seven. Like that's the aggression you like to see. You'd like to see that kind of carry over, um, you know, when the jets are in position with a, a shit kicker like Amendola, just anything 40 plus don't even try it, man. Just go for it. You're two yep. and eight now. We've said it all the time. You're playing with house money. It's time to see what this, you know, what this offense has, especially now with Zach Wilson returning. You're playing with house money here. Just, just go for it. Let's let's see what they're made of. Let's see what they're built for. Um, let's do it. But you know, you talk about it's a young team, you know, the injuries that they've had, Makai Becton, Carl Lawson, Marcus May. Those are three of probably what the top five guys you would have said going into the season that they couldn't have lost. And they're doing it. And, you know, yeah, they're two and eight, but they're getting more guys in there. They're getting experience. This is it's not an easy road. It's an uphill battle. So I walk away from this Dolphins game feeling more encouraged than I have been uh, really since the Cincinnati game. And let's just hope that they can build off it going into Houston. Yeah. And even Joyner, because I think Joyner could have been a really yep. nice player on the back end. You're seeing the issues at safety. I mean, the Jets don't have their their, their legit safeties for next year on the roster, at least who are healthy. I mean, they could bring back Marcus maybe on a one-year deal, but I just think he's probably – it's sour grapes with him and he probably doesn't want to play here anymore. And honestly, I get it. You know, he's been here. He's only seen losing. He probably wants to go somewhere else, and so be it. Like, it's fine. But, like, at the same time, we still need some help there. I mean, I could see them taking a safety in the second round or maybe even with a second first-round pick, depending on where it ends up being. But, like, I agree with you. We cannot just assume that Isaiah Dunn or Eccles is going to be the starting outside corner opposite Bryce Hall. I mean – I've been, you know, banging on the table for Stingley in the summer. If we had the opportunity to take a guy like him, assuming like other guys who are better, especially if a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau is available for the Jets, you have to take him because he's probably the best prospect in the draft. But it's just, it's good to see, like, there's hope. There's young pieces. They have cap space coming. It's not like, like, it seems hopeless. Like, we're just like, where are we going? They have a plan. They have a direction. And it even goes back to Rex, who was saying on Sunday how, he spoke to Robert Tala, and he's actually a lot more impressed with him than he initially thought. He understands it's a long-term vision. It's not just this year. And he even said, I was wrong about him. I think he's, you know, you, the Jets are in good hands, and they got it right with him. And that makes me happy because he was overly critical, and I understand where he's coming from. But, like, it wasn't like Rex was – I mean, Tala was saying that I'm like Rex Ryan. It was other people just making the association just because they had a good defense as a coordinator – but it's good to hear something like that from somebody who's really involved with the fans and the fan base coming from Rex. So I'm excited. What was that? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's typical Rex and I get that's his job, but to come in heavy handed, uh, you know, on someone that he doesn't even know, and then to walk it back after he talks to him, kudos to Rex for reaching out. 
kudos to Sala for accepting the call and kind of walking him through. Um, I wrote this in my column this week, but like I, I tend to listen to uh, Sala's interviews with Michael Kay uh, on Mondays on, on ESPN radio. It's really a post, you know, kind of a you know day after a, a typical loss, uh, you know, quick 15 <laughs> minutes. But um, listening to Sala, you know, and you got to think realistically here when when Joe Douglas and him are looking at the season, you know, for 2021 at, at, at the onset. Right. They know they're not competing for the Super Bowl. They probably know they're not competing for a playoff spot. I think this is a guy that understands the process here. And this is part of the plan. Now, do they want to be two and eight? Absolutely not. Maybe they thought they'd be, you know, four and six or five and five at this point. They've lost a couple. They probably shouldn't have. They've given a couple away, whatever. They've gotten blown out in other games. But I feel like he truly knows this is a process. And he knows that playing these young guys and getting and leading the league and rookie snaps is the way to go about this. Now, the key is going to be, can they model a team like Arizona or like the Bills, where in year two with a rookie quarterback, they go all in and that's where you're competing for a playoff spot. And then year three is when, okay, it's time to, you know, turn it up a bit. And now you're competing for a Super Bowl and you're going to championship games or whatever it is. So that's going to be the key, because I think Joe Douglas has proven that he can draft. The problem is, is he going to open up the wallet a little bit to spend in free agency and be aggressive uh, to fill some of those needs? So, like you talk about going safety in round two, I hope they find a safety in free agency. Same with you know what what are they going to do with you know what are they going to do with tight end? That's a that's that's something that needs to be addressed. Are they going to take a tight end in the top you know forty three and one of those four picks? Or, you know, are they going to address that in free agency? So this is the year we haven't seen Joe Douglas do this. And I think he's got to change his tune a little bit. I know that you build your your team through the draft and that's kind of his mantra. It's got to be molded a little bit with with the other. I don't think you can be full McCagnan and try to buy and win March. I don't also I also don't think that you can be full Joe Douglas and say, I'm only going to focus on the draft. And then in free agency, I'm going to you know set a value on a guy and I'm not going to budge. I think there's got to be a mix of both. The answer lies somewhere in the middle. Um, and you, talk, you, you know, I can't talk about this without mentioning, you know, some of this, uh, the, the missteps in free agency here that, that uh, Jared draw Davis, how uh, you pronounce his name, signing in the in the opening hours of free agency. And in, in this year, that looks bad. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's not so great. He, yeah. And, you know, Corey Davis, listen, you, you compare that to Kenny, Doll- Kenny Galladay's. I think Corey Davis is better than what he's shown. I'm still a believer in Corey Davis, but, um, you know, we'll see here. But I think you got to have a mix of heavy in the draft and you got to open up the bank account a little bit and free agency and go hard here because the, the, this team still needs a lot of pieces. So if you're going to compete in 22, Joe Douglas is going to be the key to that and, and going after some key free agents here to, to fill some of those holes. Totally. And I think everything you just hit on is a good transition because obviously Zach Wilson is finally back. I feel like we haven't seen him play in like years, even though it's been like a little bit over a month, but I'm super excited. And I know the results were underwhelming. We basically had, you know, one really good game, a couple good quarters. If you like think about um, the Carolina game and he was okay in the Atlanta game at times, it obviously was a little underwhelming overall. And then there's a couple bad ones. But that's what this whole season was about. It's about Zach Wilson. He was the guy who you're like leading your team with. He's the guy that we need to figure out if he's the answer quarterback who we need to build the team around his strengths and also mitigate his weaknesses. And he's got seven games left. This isn't the seven games they're going to decide his fate with the team. He should have all of next year and probably the year after that, unless he's really just incompetent the next seven games in next year, which I don't think he will, but you have to just be honest with yourself. But he just everything that happens in the next seven games is just super important and just so crucial to where this team is going to go. And like 
like you said, compete for a playoff spot, hopefully get to that championship game, or maybe even a Super Bowl. I know that's crazy to say, and I'm not saying it, but I'm just saying you never know. But my point is, is that Zach, I think, is going to benefit so much from this time off. I think you're going to see a very different quarterback than you saw who left the New England game about a month and a half ago at this point. A very different quarterback than you saw in the first New England game at home when he threw four interceptions and just some the Bronco game. He's going to be a little more decisive. He's not going to necessarily always go for the home run. I think he's going to take those short throws. See some of the things that Mike White, Joe Flacco, and even Josh Johnson were able to do in the offense because Quite frankly, the Jets offense through the air has been one of the best in the NFL the last month. We saw that stat on CBS Sports. They're the number one offense the last, what, four weeks? Since we came, yeah, I know. That's crazy. Like, everyone would, like, say, oh, the Jets are a joke on offense. Like, oh, it's all in garbage time. You know what? That's not true because the Jets have been such a bad team on offense for basically, I don't even know how long. I guess the 2015 is the one outlier year. But basically the last decade, going back to Sanchez being the quarterback, they could not move the ball. The passing offense was like 180 yards, I felt like, every week with Dardo. They couldn't even clear 200. And the yard per attempt was like literally like five at best. And my point is, is that this scheme is good. And Zach just needs to take advantage of what he's seeing. And I think the ability to process quicker, which I think he will show this time. And I think he's going to take huge strides this next you know, month and a half, two months of football left. I'm just super excited. What do you what do you expect out of him? Yeah, I mean, I think he's coming back to not a totally different offense, but definitely an improved offense. So when you talk about, you know, the ninth ranked passing attack in the league, uh, an offense that's leading the league in offense, you know, the last four weeks, uh, Booth LaFleur, who's clearly seeing a better game and calling a better game from upstairs. Um, and then, you know, you got four different passers that have thrown for 290 plus yards. Like, when can we ever say that? Like, that's that's insane. So I think there's a lot of things that have changed. And I think if Zach Wilson can show that he's learned, you know, uh, taking a backseat here for the last four weeks, that'll be huge. If he's worked on the short throws, you know, that's obviously going to be the key to his game here because that was the one glaring weakness in the first, you know, seven or eight weeks of the season for him. So a lot of what we've talked about over the last few weeks with Zach out was, you know, Mike White's ability to check down and and hit the running backs. And then, you know, Josh Johnson kind of doing the same thing when he came in against Indianapolis and Joe Flacco clearly doing the same thing. But we're not talking a lot about what Zach Wilson also brings to the table that those guys don't, which is an ability to extend the play. So. I think this is the perfect time for him to come back. I would have loved it. For, I would have loved for it to be at home, but going against a Texans defense that's 24th in passing, 30th in rushing, and 29th in scoring, I think that's a good opportunity against the bad team for Zach to come back and show that he's learned something and show that he can deliver and you know do some things that he didn't do earlier in the year. I'm not a guy that was ever like down and out on Zach prior to the injury either. I thought he looked okay. He had some down moments. He had some great moments. I mean, that Tennessee game, let's not forget, he was the reason that we won. Those few throws that he made down the field, I mean, the, you know, the teardrop to Keelan Cole in overtime, like that, that's a reason we won that game. So um, I'm not totally discounting him and saying that he's got to be a completely different quarterback. I think he comes, he keeps the same moxie, that same down the field vision that, you know, don't totally get rid of the hero ball, uh, you know, just save it for spots and be able to hit the short stuff and take what the defense is giving you sometimes. And I think that'll be the key to him having a good, you know, remaining seven games of the year. And this is the most excited I've been 
you know, to watch a two and eight football team. And this is the difference between, <laughs> you know, between the, you know, this year and Adam Gase is that, like you said, Steven, they were last year, they would get blown out, but they wouldn't even be competitive. They wouldn't even show signs of life this year. At least they're moving the ball. And you even talk about like, go, go yes. Uh, I'm sorry, not yesterday, uh, Sunday, you know, they scored 17 <laughs> points against, against Miami, but in reality, they're a stone's throw away from 30. You think they're, you know, they, they missed two field goals by Amendola and they're down in the red zone, what, at the 10-yard line when Flacco gets hit and gives up that fumble. So that right there is 30 points. So at least it's offensive. It's exciting football. Yeah, the defense has given up way too much, but at least we can cheer for some offense here and they got a young core that we're excited about. So if Zach can come back and look halfway decent, average, have some spots, man, you know, show some, uh, you know, uh, show some highlights. I think that's enough for us to grasp onto and say, you know what, we got something going into 2022. Agreed. And to quote Ty Johnson, because he called it before Mike White's big game in Cincinnati, he said Zach Wilson is like a pup who's just growing through his bark, thus becoming a dog, a.k.a. he expecting something big from his quarterback. And I agree with him. I think this is a perfect opportunity for Zach. And the fact that the Texans won last week against the Titans, which is basically the biggest shock in the league last week, I feel like they're going to be too high and they're going to fall flat. And they've been pretty incompetent for most of the season. They obviously had that great win week one, but they got blown out so many times. This is a perfect opportunity for number one, the Jets to get a road win, which I don't think they're even capable of doing anymore. And number two, to actually just show what they can do, especially with these young pieces. I also think the emergence of Elijah is going to be huge for him. And people are like, oh, like he couldn't do anything when Zach was playing quarterback. I just think Elijah wasn't fully up to speed. You typically see rookie wide receivers hitting their stride later in the year. Like a guy like Justin Jefferson, like he was really good last year, but he got to that next level the whole back half of the year where he won rook offensive rookie of the year. I'm sorry, he didn't win it, but he was, I think, second to Justin Herbert. So my point is, I just think you're going to see just different things that we weren't seeing. I also think LaFleur being in the booth, which is where he should have been from the start, which obviously we all were questioning because we're like, that's where he used to always be beforehand when he was in San Francisco. I just, I'm, I'm just excited to see what they can do. And I think the game plan is going to be a, a lot different than what we've seen because it's a different quarterback. He can make more throws than anybody on this roster. So it's going to be fun to see them take some more deep shots. Yeah, definitely. I think it's also, I think it's poor timing with Michael Carter being hurt. Cause we were really, yeah. I mean, he is uh, impressive um for a rookie and I think he is unequivocally the best running back the Jets have on this roster but I think going up against a bad Texans defense that's particularly bad against the run getting that run game going is going to be extremely important not only for the whole offense but specifically for Zach um so let's see how Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman kind of handle the load uh you know I think we're all a big part of the uh, the Ty Johnson hive uh and I don't like seeing carries get taken away from him but I got to admit that I'm not like down on Tevin Coleman either I think and, you know, when he's played, he's looked pretty good. And I, I can't be mad at him getting carries because even on Sunday, you know, yeah, he took carries away from Ty Johnson, but he looked pretty good in doing it. And he's, he's got yeah. burst. And I think he's more of a straight line runner where it's like a, you know, find the hole, one cut and go, which I'm fine with. So get all the yards that are there. Um, but it'll definitely be interesting to see how Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman can carry the load. Um, specifically when Ty, you know, with Ty Johnson in the past game, I think um, he showed uh, in this stint without Zach Wilson, he can be a good pass catcher. He can be good in the screen game. We'll see how the pass blocking looks, but uh, that'll be very interesting to see against the bad Texans defense is how, uh, how Ty Johnson and Tevin Coleman look in Michael Carter's place. Yeah, and I think Pirine's going to probably play, even though I don't think he's really anything much. But, I, you know, it's good to see another young player get some reps because we really haven't seen much of him all year. I think he's really been mm -hmm. inactive most of the season, with the exception of when they've had injuries at the running back position with Coleman being out a couple of weeks. 
but I'm just excited because I do like Ty. I've always been in the, the camp that he's a really good player. He's useful. He's not ever done back, but he has juice. He's strong. He's really good at catching the ball. But like you said, Coleman looked pretty good. He had that huge run that was negated with the penalty. And he's also been pretty good on kick returns, too. They've had a lot of good field position because of him. So he, I know he's definitely on his last legs in terms of being an NFL running back because I believe he's 28 years old. And for a running back, that is a little bit older, and he's been injury-prone throughout his career. But when he's out there, he can make plays. And I think with an expanded role, he's going to show why the Jets signed him in free agency this week. Yeah, no, definitely. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, um, you know, there's a lot to unpack here with a, with two, two and eight teams. Um, you know, <laughs> it's probably the most, you know, sought after uh, two and eight matchup, uh, you know, from Jets fans, but it is exciting. And I think, uh, you know, another key to the game, and we've been saying it for a couple of weeks, but how that defense shows up, specifically the defensive line. Um, I think Ty- Tyrod Taylor uh, kind of has a propensity to hold onto the ball for a little too long. So if this D-line can get after him, um, you know, that'd be great because honestly after what the first four five weeks of the season uh the Jets defense has been subpar and that's I think uh you know generous to say um you know right now the way that I look at things it just it and I'm not again I've said it I'm not a film junkie you know but I I know more than the average fan I would say but just by the eye test it just seems like it's too easy for opposing teams to complete passes on the Jets Tua, for I'm not a believer in Tua, but he completed over 80% of his passes on Sunday. So, you know, in order for the Jets to win this game specifically against, you know, a bad Texans team here, they're going to have to get after Tyrod Taylor and and that defensive line is going to have to show up, which I think they look better on Sunday, um, but it's not like, you know, Tennessee level, the, the way they look. So they got to get more to, you know, back to that. I'm not saying seven sacks, but I'm saying getting Tyrod's face, force him to do some things he doesn't want to do force a couple of turnovers here. You know, that's something we got to start seeing. We haven't really seen in the first, uh, you know, 10 games of the season. So it'll be interesting to see uh, again, how this Jets defense shows up specifically the defensive line. Cause they got to get after Tyrod. Yeah. They don't really have a good offensive line. Like you said, and I just need to see some pass rush. I need to see some sacks, but the biggest thing, and we've been saying this really all season and it's been a problem is they don't force enough turnovers. And mm-hmm. the Texans has definitely been a team that makes a lot of mistakes. I know Tyrod is actually pretty good in terms of protecting the football, and they definitely had most of their turnovers when Davis Mills was playing quarterback. But he had some bad throws against the Dolphins a few weeks ago. Like, it was one I just was very confused what he was doing. So if you get them to make mistakes, you can win this game. And that's something that – that's how you win football. Win the turnover battle, you're typically going to win the game. Obviously, there's outliers, but that's just really what I want to see from the defense. No missed tackles. Making sure Quincy Williams is on the field because he's been awesome. Like, it yeah. didn't make sense that they relegated him to special teams for a while, and they finally realized, uh, Gerard Davis is just not it, and he's better. So just go with him. I don't care how much money Gerard Davis is making this year in free agency. I heard Dan Feeney from DJ. The only reason he's on the team is because he's making $3 million, but he doesn't play. It's the same yep. thing. The guy can't play. Play the guys who can. It doesn't matter about their price tag. Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, that Gerard Davis deal is um... – it's a big question mark, especially in the opening hours of free agency, but him losing time to Quincy Williams, I think is a smart thing. Uh, I think Quincy brings energy. He obviously can lay the boom, man. He, he, he can hit. Um, and that linebacking core is, is thin. So uh, whatever they can do out there to help CJ Mosley out, cause he's kind of on an Island by himself here. So you pretty much need CJ to be superhuman every game for this defense to look competent, which is a tall task. Um, you know, but we'll see, we'll, we'll see how they look. Uh, I think it's a favorable matchup for them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see again, uh, you know, exciting for two, two and eight teams to square off here on Sunday. Yeah. The one thing I'll say is we have to listen to Spiro Didi through the game and no disrespect to him. He is a professional broadcaster, but number one, 
he's just not great with the Jets. There's always just something bad that happens. I feel like every time he calls the game, it's embarrassing. Pretty sure he called the Denver game, and they couldn't even score a point in that game. Yeah. Just like the Jets always start winning games. I don't want to listen to these mediocre broadcasters. <laughs> I want to hear Jim Ned and Tony Robo doing a Jets game. They don't even know the Jets game since like Donald's rookie year, or maybe actually I think it was the hey, Cowboy game. Yeah, that was the last yeah. time they did their game. We need to show that we need to get good broadcasters because we're a good football team. Until they start winning, we're still going to get, you know, the uh, Andrew Catalans and Spiro Didis of the world. Occasionally, I'll throw us a bone with Iron Eagle because he does do the Jets in the preseason, but it just makes the game so unbearable. I wish there was a way I could just put Bob and Marty on instead of the game audio because Bob is awesome. And <laughs> get to the show, everyone who hasn't heard or seen that episode. But yeah, it's just like I need to have be a little more entertained or get Scott Hansen to do our game. I don't care. <laughs> no man i totally agree with you i think uh i want the jets to be good for a lot of reasons i think that's uh that's definitely one of them is just to get to get nance and romo for a game or two a season maybe to get an, on a sunday night football game again you know that'd be fun uh we always joke about being on the in the hunt graphic uh coming you know late in the season um so there's a lot of reasons obviously we want the jets <laughs> to be good, but uh, joe, we'll see but. joe's hope is that one day the jets will have somebody in the sunday night football intro just like when they show the players when <laughs> Uh, Carrie Underwood singing. They just want someone on the yeah. Jets to be in that little like video. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> the bar is so low. We just want recognition that we're not incompetent, which is like it's hard That's to it. get. But um, I know it. I know. Obviously, it's a holiday, and you know it's probably a little shorter show than usual. So let's do some game picks. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I'll let you go first. But I Listen, have a feeling. I have a feeling you're going to be optimistic like me. I, you know, the forever optimist here, and I'm going to be even more optimistic than I typically am, but uh, I think the Jets are going to win this, and I think they're going to win it uh, pretty handily going away. So I'm going to say 34-17 Jets. Um, and, and honestly, I think, you know, you alluded to it early on in the show. I think the team's going to be juiced up for Zach to be back. Um, I just think this is a favorable matchup. I think the Texans defense is bad. I think the Jets offense is somewhat rolling, um, and getting Zach Wilson back. I, like I said, I think he can do that. He, I know he can do things that those other guys can't and, uh, extending plays and playing hero ball, you know, a couple of times I think is actually good. So if he comes back, which I think he will show that he's learned, show that he can hit those easy throws, get the offense in a groove early if they come out and they score on the first drive i think this game is over um but i'm gonna say yeah i'm gonna say jets 34 texans 17 uh jets force a couple of turnovers on d they get back in the sack game a little bit uh, elijah moore continues and i think you're gonna have you're gonna see Corey davis have, have a, a pretty decent game this uh this week too um i'm not saying you know like eight for 160 and two touchdowns or anything but i think a solid game maybe like a five for 75 something like that where he looks competent again and he's back in the flow with zach wilson back yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna echo a similar sentiment here. I think the Jets also win pretty handily. I know that they're two and a half point underdog, which is interesting because the Texans have been one of the worst teams in football. But I get it; the Jets aren't good either, and the Texans are at home, so you have to give them the benefit of the doubt, especially coming off a big win. But I think the Jets are going to win 28 to 13. I said that they would cover, which I don't think my picks are out yet, but they'll be out tomorrow or whenever anyone's listening. This will be out on Thursday. Um, I also think, like I said, the under 44 and a half, I think he gets the 41. I just think that the Texans will have a few moments, but I think at the same time, they're going to make a lot of mistakes. Jets are going to force turnovers. I think this will be the final breakout game. The defense is needed in the worst way, just because they've been gashed so many times. And I think, you know, the return of Bryce Huff is going to be huge for them. It's just another guy to really help that defensive line, get some pressure on the quarterback. I also think JFM is actually going to bounce back in a big way as well. And so will Quinnen. I think those guys are really active. And I felt bad for JFM because I was kind of hard on him last week. He did actually have that one play, but then obviously he had that huge penalty, which obviously killed yep. them. But 
I'm excited. I think we're going to see points. Elijah, like you said, is going to continue what he's doing. He's going to get over 100 yards. He's going to catch his first touchdown from Zach, which is going to be like the best moment ever because in Carolina, we were so close to getting that Elijah to Zach deep ball touchdown, but I think we're going to get it this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Cooks is going to give the Jets some problems because he is really fast and they've had some trouble with some speedy receivers, specifically Stephon Diggs in the Buffalo game. But at the same time, I just think the Jets are due. They've had a lot of bad weeks in a row. It just seems like every time you're so down on them, then they just bounce back. And I do think this is the beginning of not necessarily a turnaround for this team, but I do think that over the last seven games, they're going to be a lot better than they were, you know, the first 10. I really think that they could end up going, you know, maybe four and three down the stretch. That would be great. Then you had six wins. I mean, if they went, you know, five and two, probably not happening, but we would just be so giddy because they'd be like hovered around 500. But yeah. at the end of the day, I don't care about the draft pick anymore. We have two of them. It's win games. Build a culture. Make players want to play here. Because if you keep losing, we're, we're going to have to pay Jets tax. We're going to have to overpay players. I just want to win. I don't care anymore. I'm tired of losing. I felt this way about the Knicks. I remember going to last year, I was like, I just want them to show competence and actually show, like, players. We're not a legit franchise. And the Jets mm-hmm. do the same thing. And then that's how you turn, make the turnaround. And I'm just really hoping that they show a lot of momentum and signs that goes into 2022. Yeah, I want to root for wins, and I'm going to. Uh, I'm in full agreement with you. You know, at the end of the day, no matter how they finish, I think it's it's uh, it's you could probably lock it in. The Jets are going to have four picks in the top fifty, which is you know that's that's nothing to cry about, right? That'll be good. So <laughs> I uh, I want to see them win. I'm going to root for wins. You know, they're two and eight right now. If they can somehow get the six and eleven, uh, even five and twelve, but if it looks competent, I'm okay with it. Like. It's this is just I've said it a million times already. This is just totally different from 2020. I mean, there's a young core here to root for. I want to see good, young, exciting football. I want to see Zach ball out. I want to see Elijah ball out. I want to see Michael Carter come back healthy. These are let's let's root for wins. I mean, I'm not in the business of telling anybody what to root for. There's a lot of people out there that say, listen, if you're going to be bad, be historically bad and get the best draft pick you can. I've done that. I don't want to do it again. I'm going to root for wins here to close out 2021. And, uh, you know, I know it means nothing going into 2022 is how you finish uh, this year, but let's build some momentum and let's see what we can do and get the fan base and the team feeling good about the end of the season. <laughs> totally agree. I'm just tired of rooting for draft picks. It's just, it's not fun. Yeah. You, no. all, sports are about enjoyment and happiness and just rooting for your team to lose is just a terrible way to be. Like just last year, like going back to like after the Denver game, I was just like lose every game. And it was miserable. It felt like a chore to watch the team. Like, I don't want to feel like that. I want to just enjoy my Sundays and not just be like in the worst mood when the four yeah. o'clock hits and I start hearing the 60 minutes. And I'm just like, yeah, the Jets sucked and I got to go to work tomorrow. Like, I want to be happy and in a good mood. Like that feeling after the Titans and Bengals game was just awesome. I was just yeah. so juiced up and it was great. Yeah. Can't All take right. it away from us, man. <laughs> All right. I have a special Thanksgiving edition question for you. Give me okay. three Jets who you're thankful for in your lifetime. How about that? I, ooh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> what's that? I'm going to start thinking of mine as you're thinking about yours. <laughs> All right. I would say uh, Curtis Martin, number one, uh, probably my favorite Jet of all time. Uh, never made a bad play. Um, always showed up, always performed. Uh, tough, gritty, and an excellent human being off the field. Uh, number two, I'd say, is Chad Pennington. Um, I love Chad. Uh, and when healthy, uh, he took the team to the playoffs. And he was part of uh, a, you know, a sweet spot in my fandom. Uh, so 02, 04, and 06 were all fun, fun years. Um, and I thought 02 and 04 could have been really, really special. And uh, too bad we came up short in the division around both those years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the third one, I would say Darrell Revis. 
Um, I think the best Jets player we've probably ever seen uh, yep. pound for pound, whatever position, uh, no one played the game like him. His 08 to 2010 run with this team will like will be unmatched. I don't know if we've ever seen greatness uh, like we've seen from Darrell Revis. He was unbelievably good. And uh, and the reason those defenses were so good under Rex Ryan. So, uh, yeah, those are my three. Curtis, Chad. And uh, and Darrell, and I'd say honorable mentions probably Wayne Quebec because I just loved him. Yeah, that's. I'm surprised you didn't say Keyshawn. That's your guy. I you loved. Know? I loved Keyshawn. His <laughs> stint was too short, and I felt like he kind of did us dirty by wanting more money and going to Tampa. I saw this Keyshawn throwback jersey that I want to get for you on Fanatics. That I'll send I would you a link totally later. wear it. I love it. Um, so I was going to say Revis, but since you did, I'm going to. He'll be my honorable mention because you basically said everything I was going to say. So it's. You know, it's funny. It's two guys who played together or alongside each other for so long with Brick and Mangold. So they're two of mine. Just the Jets were just an unbelievable team when that offensive line was just as good as it was. And those two were just anchors, rocks you always could count on. Mangold probably should be in the Hall of Fame one day. I don't know if he will, but I know for a fact he'll be in the Jets ring of honor. And so will Brick because they're just two of the best Jets of my lifetime. And I just, it was just such a joy seeing how great a protection any quarterback who played behind them had. And, you know, quarterbacks are always thankful for their offensive line, especially if they can give them time to operate in the pocket. And then my third, kind of a surprising one because he wasn't a superstar. He was just somebody that was just always like a reliable guy to count on. But all pal, I think he deserves a lot more love from the fans. I, Leon and Jayco were definitely my guys. But Bilal was, you know, more of like my adult, like fandom. Because like when uh, Leon and um, Jericho Cotter were playing, I was a lot younger like high school and like, I guess they would like the beginning of college, whereas Bilal was like, as me as an adult and just Bilal always gave it his all. He was tough as nails. And the one time when we really needed him and he was hurt, it showed when they lost that Buffalo game in 2015. Cause I felt like if he played that week, we would have won the game because he just added a different dimension to the offense with his ability to get the ball out of the back. So whether it's receiving or even just, just quick run. And so I was always thankful for Bilal. And I think that, you know, Jeff fans really appreciated his time with the team and, just a fun guy to root for because he made a lot of plays, especially when you give him the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I uh, I can't agree with you more, honestly. So I think your brick and mangold selections are great. I think from the last six years, you know, going without them just makes you appreciate them that much more. Exactly. And being anchors on that offensive line and how good that old line was with them there, I think, you know, makes you just realize how great they were and how much you miss them. And Bilal, I think you're totally right. And uh, because I'm such a loser, I this week actually went back and I watched the 2015 Jets win uh, over New England in week 16, oh which was God. one of the most fun win. Bilal, towards the end of that season, was probably the best player on offense. And I think you're 100% right. I think losing him in that Buffalo game or losing him the week before so he didn't play in that Buffalo game was huge. And uh, it really hurt the offense. And it's one of the probably the biggest reason why the Jets didn't win, aside from, uh, you know, Fitz throwing three picks there. But yeah, totally. I love uh, I love your Bilal pick. Bilal had that awesome touchdown against the Giants in 2015 that basically yes. orchestrated us to win the game. So, yep. yeah, he, he he had a lot of good moments. He's obviously he was a special teams guy at one point as well. It's just you knew what you had with him. He wasn't, the, you know, the, the toughest player in terms of, like, size and, you know, physicality, but he just was just rock solid. You just knew you are going to get production out of him if they, mm-hmm. you know, scheme plays for him. So just always such a joy to watch that guy play. And, you know – I know he's been trying to get involved with more of the fan base, and I want him to. He just deserves the respect from the fans, especially younger fans who maybe don't remember watching him play, even though yep. he obviously retired recently or stopped playing. I don't know if he officially retired. But, yeah, he was just great. And there's a lot of great guys. But just, those are the quick guys that came to mind. 
Also, mm-hmm. a shout out Woody and Brandon Moore because they were obviously great cores on that offensive line. They just didn't play as long as um, both uh, Mangold and Brick. Woody, mm-hmm. I think, was there for three years. But, you know, every Jeff fan loves Woody, especially if you watch him, just because even though he played with the Pats, he played with the Lions, and he watched some rings with the Pats, he's still loyal to the Jeff fan base, which is really yeah. cool, especially considering he has the ring from our arch rival but still <laughs> resonates with the Jeff fans. So I love that about Woody. Yep. Yep, definitely. Um, you can see, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of honorable mentions, man. I mean, uh, underappreciated guys that only us Jets fans know, you know, Lavernius Cole's another one, man. I, he's, I just, I loved him, uh, loved his time as a Jet. Santana Moss, you know, another one, a young, fun, exciting player, uh, and early in my fandom here. Um, you know, Vinny Testaverde, I love when he come, when he came to the Jets, he had a, a remarkable year in 98 and took us to that, uh, the AFC championship game that we should have won. So that's a fun question, man. I'm glad you kind of threw that at me. That's, uh, I, you know, I love talking Jets nostalgia, man. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's a real fun one. So that was, yeah. uh, that was a good one. <laughs> of course. Um, as always, you know, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Turn the Jets uh, TV on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed to get this show, to get the TOJ pod featuring Will Parkinson, to get draft season, because they're obviously getting closer and closer to getting two picks, hopefully in the top 10. So you have those guys We'll break it down, the best fits for this team, especially it'll get even juicier once again to the offseason, the combine, all that stuff. And obviously, as you guys always remember, make sure you sign up for Badlands. It's the best 3 or $5, depending on which tier you get, you'll ever spend on just content. Always fun listening to Joe and Connor chop it up post-game, midweek. You got Connor's All-22. You got just, uh, Joe's 12-pack. And obviously, make sure if you are using Badlands, even if you're not, check out TapRM to get $50 off your first $100 purchase of all craft beers. Really good stuff. I need to do another order. It's great stuff the first time. I know everyone who's done it has really loved it and just had high praise for them. So we appreciate you guys sponsoring Badlands. And obviously, everybody, make sure you have a great Thanksgiving. We, and we're thankful for everyone who listens and tunes in.